Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Gil Bailey. He is the founder of the Cornerstone Forum, founding member of the Colloquium on Violence and Religion, a member of the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars and the College of Fellows of the Dominican School of Philosophy and Theology. In his new book, The Apocalypse of the Sovereign Self, Recovering the Christian Mystery of Personhood, he brings Rene Girard's anthropological contribution to human self-understanding into dialogue with the theological tradition exemplified by Joseph Ratzinger, von Balthasar, and Du Lubach. Really appreciate your time, Gil. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. Very interesting book. And uh, But before we get into it, maybe you can tell everybody a little bit about the Cornerstone Forum, what you do, and, and kind of what your goals are with that. Well, the Cornerstone Forum uh, sort of formed around the work that I was doing. For years, I had a, a, a class, a, a classroom in my local little town here in Northern California. And I taught courses on things that interested me, mostly uh, things in the Western canon, uh, uh, literary and biblical things. And then in 1996, I published a book which uh, got some attention and I ended up going on the road for a few years, giving uh, talks all around the country. And, uh, And then Again, in 2016, I published God's Gamble. The, the subtitle is uh, The uh, Gravitational Power of Crucified Love. And uh, this book, the current book, is really a sort of a companion volume to God's Gamble. Uh, so I, so my, my work has mostly been done outside the academy, uh, but I, as your introduction indicated, uh, I, I do have uh, some connection to my academic colleagues. So the book is, you know, you mentioned it in the book, but it's a collection of stories, fictional and factual, highlighting two themes. Uh, that you can talk, maybe you can talk about those themes that you really discuss in the book, because it really hits the nail on the head in the society in which we live. Well, I'm I'm grateful for you saying so. Uh, well, the two themes, you could, could break it down into the two halves of the book. Uh, the one is the idea of the autonomous self, uh, which uh, is an anthropologically untenable idea, but we could get into that. And the other is the idea of a person. And that per, the idea of the person comes out of Christian thought. Uh, it was a product of early Christian uh, attempts to account for the person to the Trinity. But the watermark of that, of that conversation, although centuries ago, still, still informs what it means to be a person. And uh, so what I wanted to do is spend the first half of the book analyzing how the idea of the person 
became tra transmuted into the idea of the autonomous self. And uh, so that's the first. And in both parts of the book, first and the second part, I have short chapters that tell this story in, in what I think is a, is a entertaining and informative way, but not, not pedantic. Uh, so I analyze how we got from the person to the self, and then, and I analyze the crisis of the self. And the crisis of the self being that as our Christian patrimony is, has been lost, many of our contemporaries have become slavishly obedient to political or ideological or sexual doctrines which make the parting of the Red Sea or the resurrection of Christ seem perfectly logical by comparison. So we have, we're in a, a civilizational crisis because our, our culture depends entirely on the health and vitality of our Christian patrimony. And today, Western civilization is hanging by a thread. So that's the bad news, and that's the first part of the book. But, I mean, it's, I tried to write an entertaining account of the bad news because fundamentally I'm, I'm not an optimist by any means, but I am uh, hopeful, and uh, I, I do have confidence in the power of our religious tradition to revive and uh, begin the reconstitution of our culture. So that's the so the two two halves of the book have to do with the development of the uh, autonomous individual, the autonomous self, and the second half goes back and retrieves the mystery of the person, which is uh, which is our key to uh, to restoring our culture and also reviving our faith. I mean, um, Christian faith depends on this personal understanding of our of, of the role we play in the pro proclamation of the truth of our faith. So, well, you, yeah, and you do a great job. I mean, I think you do a great job with telling the book, and it, and it does remind people this just didn't happen yesterday. This has been going on now. For a long time, go back to you know Kant and you know Descartes and different philosophers. Right. So this, this movement has been happening for a long time, although it's kind of like the frog in the pot. It's now boiling, and now people are almost all of a sudden going, "Holy cow! How did we get here?" But when we deny yeah. right. who we are, right? When the creature denies the creator, and then we try to recreate who we are, it pretty much explains the catastrophe that we're living today, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. And, and uh, we, I think we have to understand that, maybe I said this already, but cultures collapse very slowly and then all at once. And uh, we're, we're very close to having our civilization collapse. So we, we have we have to revive our our own faith and our 
and our ability to bear witness to the truth of our faith uh, in a very robust way. Uh, if our if our civilization and if our children and grandchildren are to live in a in a, a culture that uh, even remotely uh, approximates the uh, culture that we were given by our ancestor, so we have we have a lot of work to do. Uh, but the resources for, for doing that work are readily at hand. Uh, if we if we bit, uh, just recognize them, and what I try to do in the second half of the book is is to present these resources in a way that's that's intriguing and inviting and energizing uh, for others. And and it's not because I'm sitting on some uh, pedestal looking across, you know, looking down on where everybody else is. These the things that I that I explore in the book are things that I've experienced in my own life, and I, I believe they they can play an important role in reviving our faith individually and in making us agents, making us in some way exemplars of the faith. The book, the book, culminates more or less in this idea of the theodrama, the drama of of salvation, in which each of us had a role to play. Each of us is an actor in the drama of salvation. We're we're invited into the drama, and according to our our capacities and the, the cultural situation we're in, uh, we play, a, 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 each play a small, but non-negligible role in reviving our faith and reviving our faith in our own hearts and in our culture. It's the greatest challenge. It's the greatest challenge and it couldn't the the urgency of it, it it can't be over overstated. Well, and I think you do a great job of talking about that. And the, you're right; the stories are easy to understand. I mean, it really paints a picture so that at the end, right, the picture is completed, and we see where we are, but we see how to get out of where we are. But the reminder, and you mentioned, right, we're all invited, but when we deny that invitation, when we deny Christ in our lives then the anarchy that takes place, you know, as, as uh, Joseph Ratzinger said, right, the, about dictatorship, right, the uh, uh, call for relativism, right? It, it really is uh, something we get to choose. And, you know, I was just thinking, of, you know, reading your book, and when we deny Christ and deny who we are, we end up denying truth, we deny love, we deny the family, motherhood, the patriarchy, sacred. I mean, we deny everything that we need to be what Christ is inviting us to, don't we? Exactly right. Exactly right. Well, thank you for reading the book and seeing that, because uh, I know the book's not, not out yet, but you, you, you must have had access to it. So I'm really happy to, that you that you drew those thoughts out of it, which are very essential to the message of the book. But it is a book of hope, 
right? But it is, it, but it also is a book that paints a reality of which we live. And, you know, to get out of where we are and to be who Christ has called us to be is going to involve a lot of courage, right? And we see a lot of people backing down to the progressive ideologies that that are in line today. And we're seeing it, you know, with the Los Angeles Dodgers, right? Hosting that, oh my God. that, that, that ridiculous uh, group that mocks Catholicism. We're, we're seeing sports commentators afraid of even bringing it up. But we are called to be brave. And it's funny, when somebody does what they're supposed to do, everybody makes them out a hero. But that's really what we're all called to do, right? Speak out against these these lies and untruths that have led people into despair and, and anger. You're absolutely right. But at the same time, these these uh, violations of, of common decency with regard to Christianity uh, should be awakening in us the determination to proclaim it and confess it uh, boldly and not, and I, I think the the book ends on, on a, an analysis of being part of a drama, of enacting Christian faith in some way, and so I think it's important on us not just to proclaim it but to exemplify it. It's, it, it, I think the revival of our culture and our faith will begin in robust in robustly when each of us can will each of us exemplifies the faith in in our own lives not by showing off right but by but by keeping our dignity and and living among our our fellows in a way that uh, gives shines a light on the faith that's not that's not dogmatic or that's not proselytizing necessarily, but that because people today especially when someone lives with the dignity that we have as disciples of Christ. That person stands out, mm-hmm. and that, that it, it's not it, that person doesn't have to it doesn't have to try to stand out. As a matter of fact, it should never try to stand out. But simply by living with dignity and reverence, and with love and compassion for one's fellows, and uh, with the determination to speak the truth in season and out such a person will will ha- leave an impression and those impressions and this this comes in part from my work with my old teacher and and friend Rene Girard we are we 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 are all contagious in some way uh, what we do others are, have what we do affects others without us having to try to force it on them. And it's especially true if we try to live according to the gospel and with the dignity that's commensurate with the, the, the faith that we have 
that we have been given. The faith, you know, we have faith not because we earned it or because we, you know, are worthy of it, uh, but we have it because it's a gift. And so we can we can live that faith with uh, conscious of its effects on others without becoming conceited or prancing around as though we're on show or something like that. But we should always remember that other, you know, years ago when I was a young man, I worked for an old Quaker man who was who was wise as could be. And he told me one day, he said, you know, Gil, when we go through life, lots of times we're, we're caught up in what we're doing and we're, you know, paying close attention to that. We should always remember that somebody might be watching. And I, I remember that day so well. That was a piece of advice. Somebody might be watching. And even if nobody, if, if nobody is there to watch, God is watching. But also some of our, some of, some of our fellows may be watching. And we have a responsibility to carry ourselves with dignity and to speak with uh, in ways that convey something of the mystery of our faith. And anybody who's a parent knows that children bring up things when sure. we didn't even think they were watching, right? So we, as parents, exactly. we get living examples of how we live our lives and how children are watching and observing what we're doing and, and can have a great impact on their development and on how they're raised, whether they're faithful or not, because of how we lived our lives. Well, you, you, you said it perfectly. Yeah, one thing I want to bring up, though, and you, I really enjoyed this part of the book. You know, you took, you know, you remind everybody, one, that apart from Christ says, apart from me, you can do nothing, which we know is in John 5. But you talk about the two prominent forms of nihilism back in scripture, when it's Pilate who asks what is truth, and then the mob that yells crucify him. And that's that socially contagious disease that, at least in that regard, is a disease that you were talking about earlier, right? How the the mob that praised him coming to Jerusalem with palm leaves as he walked in was the same mob yelling crucify him just a day or so later. It's, uh, that's, that scene in the passion story where Pilate says, what is truth? And the next thing you know, the mob's screaming uh, for his crucifixion. That's the two, the two elements that I identify as, uh, implicit in the rejection of faith, namely nihilism and hysteria. And our world is awash in nihilism and hysteria. You know, people are all the time talking about the word hysteria has come into the popular discourse in an amazing way. We we talk about sexual hysteria, environmental hysteria, political hysteria, and so on and so forth. And it's also the the idea of nihilism. Nihilism means there is no truth. It's, I I will make it up. 
uh, as I go. And I, I told an interviewer the other day, I, I contrasted the Justice Kennedy uh, comment in his Planned Parenthood Casey decision, where he said that the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, and of the universe. That's nearly yeah. He also brought up a similar comment when he did uh, when he did the uh, rule his ruling on marriage back in 2015, where he mm-hmm. talked about you know, that mm-hmm. general people creating their own reality and whatever makes them happy, whether it's right or wrong, right. we have to go with. It. Yeah. So that's 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 the coin of the realm today. It's 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 just how people people take that for granted. We get to. You know, live my truth, your truth doesn't, you know, it's not truth. It's my truth or your truth. And it's madness. I mean, no, no, nobody with a half a brain would think that you could actually have a, a society based on that principle. It's, it's utter nonsense. It's what's collapsing right now. It's it's part of the collapse. Everybody thinks they can just make it up and have, and and it's it's not going to work. It's it's not working, and and the pathologies that are developing have, are now you know unbelievable. The 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 chaos, the violence, the lawlessness. Uh, uh, so. It's very late in the in the process, but there there are no shortcuts. I mean, maybe you could say, well, we could police our world a little better. That would help. But ultimately, there are no shortcuts. We have to revive our faith and the faith of our that our ancestors bequeathed us, or else we will go the way of all all things temporary. I was going to say the reminder that you just, you know, by bringing that up is that we're not going to change the world overnight because this took centuries to get to where we are, but we can have an impact on our families. And if everybody focused on family and putting faith first and living the life that we were talking about, right? Modeled after Christ, growing in faith, that's where we're going to change it. We're not going to change it in the public sphere. It's going to be changed in the individual households, right? Well, I think that's right, but also, I, I, as you know, I use the the idea that something is performative. It, it, usually, that word, it, when it's used by by Christians or conservatives, that word is a negative thing. You know, everything these these uh, empathies, various empathy for various victims, is performative. But I, but I argue that there is a performative, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, but there is a performative dimension to Christian faith. Uh, it, 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 it's how we live and how we conduct ourselves with dignity and grace and generosity of spirit, uh, even in difficult times. And we cannot, I mean... I'm no more disposed to 
to do that in at hard moments than anybody else. But I think that's what we're called to do. That, that if people catch a glimpse of what grace looks like in the life of a faithful Christian, uh, it will it will turn their heads if they if they're available to be touched by the Spirit at that moment to see someone who's living happily, contently, and at peace with himself uh, will leave an impact on other people. And I think we're, we should be aware not to perform, not to perform in a cheap sense, but to realize, as my old Quaker friend told me, that our lives are, we're not, no man is an island. We we are constantly influencing other people, whether we know it or not. And we should take that as a cue, as a little a spur to our own best behavior, uh, to conduct ourselves in a way that that it perhaps makes somebody else think to himself. I wonder where he got that, and that therefore open in some way to an invitation to Christian faith. Well, we're down to about the last thirty seconds. I knew this conversation would go fast, and we're talking about talking to Gil Bailey about his book, "The Apocalypse of a Sovereign Self: Recovering the Christian Mystery of Personhood." Where can people get the book and follow what you're doing at your uh, Cornerstone Forum? Well, the the book will be. I don't think it is quite yet, but it will be in all all venues. Uh, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and so on. Uh, also, from the Cornerstone Forum, uh, CornerstoneForum.org, you can go and look at the resources that are there, and the book will be uh, there as well. Uh, and I I, I hope you. Like it, I hope it makes uh, has some effect on the lives of its readers, and I hope if they like it, they'll uh, encourage other people to read it. Took me a long time to write it. It it taught me a lot about the, myself and the world, and I'm happy that it's about to be launched. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.